0: Welcome back to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I have a very special guest. Today, I'm joined by Dave Blanchard, who is the CEO of the Augmentino Group. He's an author, speaker, and coach, and he's worked with executives, leaders around the world. And after reading a couple of books, I'm just so excited to have you on. Dave, how are you today? Wonderful. Thank you, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. I know that, you know, usually we talk to folks like right deep into the strategy aspects of running an organization. But as an entrepreneur myself, I'm really excited to have a conversation about, you know, everything that you've seen in your career, everything that you've seen being part of the Augmentino Institute and everything that you've shared in your writings and in your work. So as a way of getting started, can you share with our listeners a little bit about you and your background? Certainly. Uh, I came from the financial services
1: and real estate development world. Experienced a tremendous loss in California in 1989. And I was the corporate guarantor, Anthony. So I I had a million dollars of debt sitting on my back. I spent the next 10 years paying that back, becoming a writer and director of films and TV commercials but it was really a fun time in my life. Then Betty called me when I was standing in the cancellation line of The Lion King in New York. We've been shooting commercials for CNBC, and she said, the, the rights to the greatest salesman in the world are available. Would you be interested? I said, Betty, this is a rhetorical question. Of course I would be. I found that book in my darkest night. was just a, a beacon of light. So I came home,
0: left the film business, formed the Ogmandino Leadership Institute, and the rest is history. That's fantastic. So for our listeners that might not be familiar with Augmandino and his body of work, can you give us a quick background? Certainly. His first book was The Greatest Salesman in the World.
1: 25 million copies, 25 different languages, Greatest Secret, Greatest Miracle. Those are his three biggest books that are actually called a trilogy. He wrote 16 books in his lifetime, 50 million copies sold, he died way too early in 1996 at the age of 73. And it's just an honor to take that material into the 21st century. We need it more than we've ever needed it before. It's people become increasingly aware of their habits and how they're impacting their life and their relationships.
0: So it's just a real honor to be fiduciary of Og Mandino's work. Many people are familiar with like Think and Grow Rich, and I'm looking at my shelf to see what are some of the... We'll call them classics that apply to not only entrepreneurs, but leaders, people in in political influence and that kind of stuff. And I definitely uh, constitute that book in that realm. Cool. And then you've also written a couple of books yourself. Actually, I wrote three of them. The one is called Today I Begin a New Life, which happens to be the
1: opening sentence of the first scroll of the 10 scrolls found in The Greatest Salesman. Uh, The second is called The Observer's Chair, which is all about healing self-esteem. And the third is equanimity. I chose that word. Equanimity means peace of mind. Equanimity, conquering Mount Entrepreneur. How do you actually build a business or a career? After 100,000 assessments, we just boiled it down to here are the key principles. So those are the three books. I mentioned something about Og's book. Remember I said that when Betty came to me, the rights were available? The rights were for the film rights. And last year, we got funding for the movie. I just got back from two weeks in Israel, having a cultural immersion, getting ready for this process of scripting and selecting directors and actors and all the kinds of stuff that goes along with making a movie.
0: The greatest salesman in the world is going to become a feature film. Very exciting. That's amazing. Well, you heard it here first. I heard it here first. Obviously, there's so much to talk about in Aug's work. I definitely want to talk about equanimity and conquering Mount Entrepreneur also want to talk about the 100,000 habit finder assessments that you've done and analyzed. And we got something special for our listeners at the end of the episode. But maybe we can put a bit of context around entrepreneur because, you know, there's the sort of classical entrepreneur. You started your own business. I'm an entrepreneur myself. How can we take the context of entrepreneur and look at it globally and what you guys, how you look at it personally? We live in a time when we want life to be easier and a little less stressful.
1: It's like, who wouldn't, right? I was speaking last night, and I said, this came off the top of my head. I said, "Just like being on Mars and saying, I want fresh tomatoes. We don't grow fresh tomatoes on Mars, but I want fresh tomatoes. Well, we don't grow fresh tomatoes on Mars. You need to go up to a planet where they grow fresh tomatoes. Well, on this planet, we don't grow ease and less stress. It doesn't exist, no matter how much we want it. And the risk with the entrepreneurial mind, the gift is to be able to see so clearly we can ignite passion and drive action. But if our desire is ease and a little less stress, we go into fantasy and then into catastrophe. And the physiological events that occur when we do that are just absolutely devastating to a person. We live in our mind. We tolerate reality and we beat ourselves up because we can't figure out how to get it to happen. We see that as evidence That's the day of the end of life. That's why I wrote that book because of that sequence. It was the 55 year old man, Anthony, who was, was talking to him for the first time. We were going to review his results. He said, Dave, hey, I can almost touch it. I can almost taste it. Why can't I have it? What's wrong with me? I mean, he had taken this so intrinsically deep. You're asking for tangible reality to be somehow magically manifest because you've got an intention. It doesn't work that way. You use that gift to seek inspiration, to mentally rehearse, to explore, to plan, to goal set, to problem solve. You'll get inspired ideas, intuitive impressions, creative solutions. If we had you wired to a functional MRI, we'd see parts of your brain ignite that are normally dormant in a human being. That's our passion, and passion drives our action to do the work of creation, whether it's a career, whether it's a business, nobody gets to skip the work. We just get to do it passion-driven, or we get to fantasize, catastrophize, and the work is boring, mundane, burdensome, repetitive, and hard. And that sabotaging dialogue
0: robs the entrepreneurial mind from their two greatest strengths, empathy and intuition. What I find fascinating about that, again, in, in the psychology of people, and, and you know, we could talk for hours about that, is that in real life, nothing actually changes. It's just how that occurs. If you think the world is not giving you what you want or you think it is, that's just the perception of gratitude or your, or, or your context around all of that. And what I really like that from independent thinkers and entrepreneurial minds, so not necessarily entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurial minds, is the empathy and intuition which is, I would argue, a characteristic of most, if not all, strong leaders in the world. These are the people that we need more than ever, people that lead with their hearts and lead with uh, action such that we can create the world that we want to see around us. So maybe you can tell me how your experience analyzing over 100,000 habit assessments has impacted the trajectory, the careers, the understanding of these type of entrepreneurial thinkers that are within organizations. On
1: average, a person holds back 40% of their cooperation and energy until they feel valued as a human being. Non-adversarial. If they're in a workplace that's adversarial, it could actually be more. So imagine in your mind, because you're a vivid visionary, they come in, they drink coffee, Get fueled up. They want their first break, lunch break, afternoon break. Door gets them at five o'clock. They're out the door. They do just enough to get the minimum job done. And Gallup tells us 79% of them are there for the health insurance. What happened? Well, leadership somebody gets an advancement, they pull up the ladder. And if I can be just a little crude for a moment, they pee in the four corners. This territorialism I've got my silo, I'm now in charge, and, and they tell everybody what needs to be done. They feel as a leader is if they have to have all the answers and they're mandating people structure, systemic rules, and crushing the people. People come in with an idea, gets summarily dismissed. 97% of the time, a person's idea is attached to their self-esteem. They'll only get crushed so many times before they stop bringing ideas, leave mm-hmm. the ideas in the car. They just come in and do what you tell them to do. Then they go home. So for every manager listening to this, can you imagine if your role were to pull the very best out of everybody then give them credit for their ideas and grow the most you can with the people and have them coming to the workplace excited to bring those ideas because they know they'll be heard, they'll be explored, they know that good will be found in their ideas, they'll be combined with others. Managers just hanging on because the team is moving. This happens in some organizations. I was working this week with a client with a publicly traded company. And this person has incredible empathy and intuition, but wasn't using it. And I said, why are you not using this gift? And she said, don't I have to be angry and bitter and mean to be advanced? That's a sad scenario, is it not? If that's the belief system, is I have to be like that to be advanced. The bottom line, this is Anthony. We've got it upside down systemic rules extrinsic application people are at the bottom of the pyramid we need to turn it upside down get the people back on top the greatest asset of every organization listen to them value them encourage them inspire them and they'll bring that 40 50 60 percent to the workplace they live in the car
0: There was something that you said, you know, just before talking about this person that you're working with and when you're speaking directly to to the manager, so speaking directly to the listener, you, is I encourage you to really take a couple seconds to imagine what your organization could be like, what your team could be like, what your workplace could be like if everybody brought that 40%, if you had your leadership was unleashed and your people were running and really moving forward and driving the change that you want to see being bought in and creating everything that they see to create and creating this big open space. Just take a couple seconds. It's going to sound like a long couple seconds. Really put yourself there and think about what that could mean for you and what that could mean for your people.
1: This executive I was working with, we had done a team DNA. That's a habit finder that's done on an entire team. And we measure everybody's habits of thinking and Hundred percent of them were visionaries. <laughs> Some of them were analytical. I said, "Well, you're crushing their self-esteem. You've got a team who's got so many ideas, and if you're being mean <laughs> and rude, and you know you're, you're not listening, and you're robbing yourself and them of all of this creativity that would drive your division to an entirely new level." We got really, really comfortable in this conversation. I wasn't being rude at all. There's more joy in it for everybody involved, including the leader, when they lead from that perspective. People first. You inspire the people. The people do the work. And they do more than they were doing before because they're inspired. You breathe life into them. And what's interesting is she is, by nature, a person like that. She was denying her own nature because that's how she felt she needed to be.
0: Like growing in the small... And the small pot or like the elephant that gets chained up small and thinks they can't grow out of something. I'd love to touch on that a little bit and just like get to it one level deeper because you know, I, I see I mean my work and I'm mean, working with executives, working with boards, working with CEOs, senior leaders, you know, incredibly smart people, incredibly driven people, whether it's type A or type B personalities, and you come across this zero sum game in terms of Correctness or being right. If I'm right and you're right, we're both going to die being right because it comes across a confrontational. I have my thoughts on it, but you know, in terms of creating that openness, I would say the first step is doing the habit finder assessment, which is free, which we will have for our listeners because of your gracious offer. And once they recognize that is happening in their group, what are some things that they can do to create that space and to make that change happen? We discovered. I
1: mentioned the percentage a moment ago. Only one out of 200 have a really clean self-esteem. One out of 200. That means some people are questioning their worth or their ability or their character or their contribution, but they're covering it up so nobody sees it. But when they get into a right-wrong discussion, I feel strongly I need to help them see it. Please, just listen to me. You got to pay attention here. This is what we need to do. And in systemic thought, it's right or wrong. Win or lose, life or death. There's no Pantone color schedule. It's polar, all or nothing. And when somebody else is wrong, it pushes the self-esteem buttons that we measure in the assessment and it crushes them. So most corporate organizations are spending more time in self-esteem preservation than they are discussing the problems because it's all done systemically. Right, wrong, win, lose, life, death. Imagine a leader who takes his idea and sets it aside, goes into a room with three people and says, Sally, we're going to work on one problem today. This is the problem. What do you think we ought to do? Sally shares. He's listening for something good in her idea. Ooh, Sally, what I like best about what you said is this. Jack, what do you like best about that? Bill, what do you like best about that? Hey, Jack, what do you think we should do? Ooh, what I like best about that is this and this. Sally, what did you like? Bill, what did you like? By the time we finish this exercise, the manager, who probably thought through most of those ideas, says, the only thing I would add to that is this. What do you think of that? And now we take those best ideas. We're no longer in self-esteem preservation. I'm right, you're wrong. I know you don't. Now we're all in collaboration. We take those ideas Because we're no longer in self-esteem preservation. We can actually, from a practical standpoint, work on the very best way to do it. We all agree and we make assignments, execute on their ideas, and we're no longer pushing a rope. Mm -hmm. Just the idea of what I like best about that idea is, takes us out of systemic thought, puts us in what's called extrinsic thought, common sense. Because we know that idea is attached to their self-esteem. We find good in the idea, we just found good in them and their wall comes down, energy cooperation flood out, and we can have a conversation. Best ideas always come to the surface. In the end, and most, I'm gonna say it one more time, most corporate organizations spend inordinate amounts of time in self-esteem preservation. They can't figure out why someone just can't see their good idea and just do it. So well, It's not about the idea. You just crush their self-esteem. Now they're gonna spend the next two or three hours resenting maybe sending a text home or calling home or when they get home taking it out on a spouse or a companion for the crappy place they live in nobody cares about what they think and gee, this is happening everywhere we don't need to do this a good manager can eliminate this negative dialogue
0: in his organization simply by focusing on the person and it's you know keeping it positive it's about the idea not the person they win they get to know themselves as winners and it- create space instead of crushing it. Here's the thing that I've seen is that as a leader, you are, I'm sure a great leader, but you might not recognize the impact that your words have. You might not even mean it Mm -hmm. in a way that stifles a person where they feel personally attacked and worse, they won't say anything. If you did in fact impact their self-esteem or put them into this like survival mode, they'll just like stew on it and deal with it. So having the intuition, the empathy, the understanding of how your words impact other people. Even if and you have the best intentions, you never know how it's landing for the other person. And so that's why it's its such a process as like developing your communication, developing your leadership, developing your understanding of your people. It has to be done progressively over time and with a lot of intentionality. What are your thoughts on that, Dave? Amen. <laughs> bottom line is
1: that the soft skills, is caring about people actually listening, pulling up the best, have become hard facts. The truth of the matter is people are under a lot of stress. They really are under a lot of stress privately and in business. We're trying to get more out of everybody at work. It puts a strain on family and relationships. They bring all that stuff to the workplace. So they're already preoccupied when they hit the door at eight o'clock in the morning. They just had a fight with their 16-year-old who having problems with marijuana or something or with their spouse or companion or whatever it might be. They got money problems, their credit card's overcharged. What would happen if we walked over to Bill who looks a little down today? So Bill, I walked by and I saw you and I got in my office and something just said you need to go talk to Bill. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Sure. We're afraid to get into anything personal. He says, well, I just have some challenges with my teenager. Well, if you ever want to talk about it, let me know thanks for caring. The very fact someone noticed and take pressure off the steam cooker. A lot of pressure. Wow, somebody cared about me. I mattered. Not just the bottom line. This drives the bottom line, by the way, but not just the (laughs) bottom line. They actually cared about me. I want to show up. I start to have what we haven't seen for a long time, loyalty. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: There's two parts. So One, we started off today's podcast talking about context around how you approach situations, how they occur for you. We talked about caring and people. And I think that when you're going about these things, there's two contexts that are really important to hold on to. One is that you can't approach that conversation with an ulterior motive of there's something wrong, I'm trying to fix it, I need to do this, this is what doing good business is. It really has to come from the place of of caring and authentic love and compassion. Which I think, as humans, we 've decided to stifle, and I know that I went through a long period of time where I repressed all of my emotions largely because of you know things that happened in my past, and say, you know i don 't want to tell anybody I love them anymore because they 're going to leave me, and now I tell everybody I love them it 's just created abundance in my life, talking to people because you really care and you 're interested, and then also the context of taking the time to have that conversation because, you know, we're so busy. We have so much stress. I have tons of stuff to do on my list. And if you go up to somebody and say, how are you? I got to do this. I got to like check in with you and I've got five seconds to do it versus coming from a place of authenticity, of caring, of loving, and, you know, taking the time that you need to take because if that person cries in your office for an hour, you know, you might have something to do, but got to be prepared to, to, to be that or to address it instead of just trying to like rush it through and tick a box. I just
1: wrote down on my paper notes can't fake caring. You can't fake it. You care. Somebody says, I've got time for someone to cry in my office for an hour. But we have time to manage the damage from somebody doing that privately for a day. Huge impact on the business. Now, there are going to be people who are going to be very victim-y and that, a lot of that kind of energy, and they can actually drain an organization. They may not be the right person. But we got to care enough to step into their world and find out what's really going on. We call it care frontation. That's the person who's been late for five days. And you say you're late one more day, you're fired. Or the good manager says, "Share with me what's happening." Well, my son was diagnosed with leukemia, and we're treating him every morning. I I promise you, I'm getting here as fast as I can. I'm driving like a maniac to get here on time. Or they say, "Yeah, my fraternity buddies have been in town, and we've been drinking every night, and I haven't been able to get up on time." Totally different discussion. We're not we're not caring enough about the person. Well, it's not that we're not. You and I want to say, let's encourage the listener to be the one who does listen. Who does care?
0: Who is that person? It'll
1: change your entire organization.
0: And I think it creates space for other people to be accountable. And it takes away the blame and the like the make wrong and the stuff that attacks the self-esteem and that person's in my experience, people just hide out. If they know that they've done something wrong, then they hide out and avoid it. Versus, you know, bring it up to the space where they can take ownership of it and they can regain their power in life so that they can you know, keep doing what they're doing and get back to what they're up to. Learn from it, and move forward. You're not
1: making mistakes, you're not working. Just own it, learn from it, let's move forward and not spend weeks trying to hide from it or play like it wasn't there. Anthony, can we just reach out to the listeners say, anybody working in one of these environments where people are shut down and people aren't appreciated and people don't listen and, and imagining, as Anthony asked everybody a few moments ago, imagine if you showed up that way you showed up that way. And if you're a manager, you showed up that way. What kind of an impact could you have on an organization? I've seen mid-level people send a reverberation through an organization that was noticed at the top.
0: That's what we're up to. Cool. Okay, so as we finish up here, can you talk about the Habit Finder? And then I would love for you to talk about one of your books.
1: We started the Ogmandino, the official Ogmandino company. And Betty's part of that company, which is really fun. First thing I said was, I'm a bottom line guy. Even when I was doing films, you know, what's the purpose of this? How do we measure the habits Aug has been teaching us to master? There's got to be a science. Well, we found the science University of Tennessee. We've spent 18 years and $2 million perfecting it so that a person can complete two simple worksheets, relatively simple. And the volume of information we can get from that in terms of how a person thinks the risks that are associated with those thought processes can open up an awareness to the dialogue that's been going on inside of us and whether or not we're the one in charge or whether our dialogue's in charge. When Aug says I surrender my free will to these years of accumulated habits of thinking and the past deeds of my life have already marked out a path which threatens to imprison my future, awareness is the first step in freeing us from that unhealthy dialogue. So it's habitfinder.com forward slash sme, Put the forward slash in there. That way you get it for free. Habitfinder.com forward slash sme. We're going to give it to you for free. We want you to have this moment. And I also committed to Anthony that you get an email when you're done from one of our Habit Finder specialists. These are not salespeople. These are our customer service department. Contact them and let them spend a little bit more time going through it and helping you better understand how it relates it's very comprehensive. You get the complete, comprehensive assessment, and you can have a half an hour with one of our people to try to figure it out. We want to do that for you. This is our mission: is to raise this awareness so people can start to go, "Wow, I took on these habits of thinking life could change." Of the three books, the one I love the most is the latest. is called Equanimity. I used to say all the time: entrepreneurial people are often stuck in the parking lot. Life, <laughs> they're not even climbing the mountain. So, I wrote a book in which the reader is the main character. Male, female, old, young, it doesn't matter. It's you. You are the main character. And you're pulling into the parking lot of Mount Entrepreneur. And you notice that a lot of people have been there a long time. Matter of fact, one of the cars is up on blocks, and there's roots growing through the rims. You know, people fantasizing about what it's going to be like when they get there. You're going to make three critical decisions. Get out of your car, go to the starting gate. You'll be met by a mentor who's going to take you to the first mile marker, which are the principles about how to connect with people, the very things we've been talking about. Then you'll be handed off to another mentor who will take you to mile marker two and help you get a clear vision for your life, one in which you can make a decision in which your actions will follow. I'll keep my eye on the goal above my head, the decision. I'll ignore the obstacles of my feet, the unhealthy habits of thinking, where dry desert ends, green grass grows. You understand the process of dream creation. The third mile marker is about structure, how to embrace structure that supports you. It's a real fun book for someone who's got an entrepreneurial mind. That means independent thinking. Someone is a vivid visionary. Someone says, well, I'm not a vivid visionary. And I say, well, do you ever worry? <laughs> yeah, all the time. Well, welcome to Vivid Visionary, but welcome to the shadow side of the gift. Let's get you on the other side of the gift. Where you're getting inspired ideas and not becoming homeless every night in your mind, let's get you the right place. So equanimity, Conquering Mount Entrepreneur, just go to
0: Amazon. You can pick it up at Amazon or you can go on our website and get that. I love how it reads. I love how it's laid out. Uh, it's definitely a fun read, a unique perspective, and just really enjoyable. That's all I can say about it right now. And uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's phenomenal. Dave, thank you so much for just having a conversation with me today. It's been just enlightening. I, I hope we made a difference for people today. I know we made a difference for people, but I, I hope we did as well. How can people get a hold of you? How can people learn more about the Augmandino Institute and then take that Habit Finder assessment? And we'll make sure that we put links to the books in the show notes. Go to habitfinder.com forward slash SME. Take the assessment. We
1: want you to do that first, because that tells me you really are interested in figuring this out.
0: And then we'll take you from there, as deep as you want to go. And then to learn more about you personally, they can find you on LinkedIn or... LinkedIn, Augmandino.com,
1: our Augmandino YouTube channel. There's several speeches that are on that channel if you want to go listen to a speech. So LinkedIn, Facebook, we have an Augmandino author Facebook page really like it. We've had 71,000 people
0: like that page so far. It's been really fun. And we, we keep people informed on that Facebook page. Dave, once again, just thank you so so much. It's been such a pleasure and I really hope we can have another conversation very soon. Thank you, Anthony. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. My guest today has been Dave Blanchard, who is the CEO of the Augmandino Institute. Dave is an author, speaker, and coach. And I really hope that you got something that you can take to your people and make a difference with them from today's conversation. You know, one of my requests, you know, I'd love for you to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. But more than anything, I encourage you and I invite you to send this podcast to somebody directly, somebody in your life that is an entrepreneurial thinker, a leader, somebody who works with people, whether it's a business, a nonprofit, and it just impacts people. Send this to them. Let them take the habit finder. Let them, uh, give them these tools. And it will change their life. I'm confident it will change their life. And that's what you have the power to do right now. So take a couple seconds, do that. And normally I don't make such a bold request, but you never know where one thing might take somebody and the impact that we can have as leaders in the world has just a huge 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 impact so i invite you to step into your own leadership take the tools that we talked about today use them share them apply them and just be great with your people so uh, thank you so much for listening my name is anthony taylor this has been the strategy and leadership podcast thank you so much for joining us and until next time